0: This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona. Mica is the exclusive provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. For more information about Mica, call six zero two nine five six-five two seven six or visit Mica-Insurance.com.
1: RX Security has
0: over thirty years experience printing tamper resistant prescription pads and EHR paper that is Medicaid and State compliant. To prescribe safely, visit rxsecurity.com
1: that's rxsecurity.com.
0: Hello, my name is Rahul Rishi. I'm a physician board certified in adult and pediatric allergy immunology, as well as in internal medicine. I have a strong interest in angioedema and pediatric eczema. Welcome to the Arizona Physicians Podcast.
1: And when you start looking at Accuracy versus correctness of speech, you find that there's a tremendous amount of things that people just say in daily living that are completely nonsense. And the more of those things that they say, the more disturbed their life becomes.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McGilligan, your host for today's episode. And we're joined today by retired physician James Campbell. Dr. Campbell had retired from practicing medicine for about 50 years, and he's here today to share with us what he's learned throughout his career, share some tips for his colleagues who are still practicing, and uh, some lessons that he learned throughout his journey as a physician. Dr. Campbell, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, John. Appreciate it a lot.
0: We're very glad to have you, and I want to have a discussion today, Dr. Campbell, about how you started treating adults and psychiatry and how you transitioned from that to being credentialed to treat children. So how did this all begin? Um, what was, was there something that motivated you to, to be a physician and why psychiatry?
1: Well, psych, why psychiatry? I started when I was about five years old, six years old. I decided I wanted to be a doctor that worked with the mind. And so I kind of knew what I had to do for the next 25 years. But the issue of uh, becoming a child psychiatrist uh, came Later into my practice, I had started practice and realized that what I was doing was uh, working pretty well, and uh, I was moving a lot of people very quickly, and I needed something to help stabilize my practice, so I figured uh, treating children would be one of the things that would do that, and I also felt that a lot of what I was seeing in adulthood had to do with, uh, shall we say, unfinished business of childhood. So that was the impetus to uh, go and get the child fellowship.
0: And was that an arduous process? What is that like for psychiatrists to switch from treating adults to being able to being credentialed to see younger patients? Uh, And what qualifications do you have to achieve?
1: Well, I did a two-year fellowship at UCLA. Uh, That was after my general residency in psychiatry at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago. And uh, it had its ups and downs, but uh, it was actually a very good program, and I enjoyed it. It was uh, two years of learning more about children.
0: Dr. Campbell, you've written several books, starting with Rapid Relief from Emotional Distress, which you had co-authored with Gary Emery. How did writing help you to improve your practice? And do you know whether doing so had motivated colleagues to share their own thoughts in print?
1: Well, the book came about because uh, when I went to UCLA, I'd asked for a uh, individual that might be doing cognitive therapy to be one of my supervisors. And the only person that they had at the moment was uh, Gary Emery, who was a psychologist, but uh, he had been involved with Aaron Beck in Pennsylvania during the time that they were establishing the uh, cognitive therapy program. And uh, actually while uh, Gary was uh, my uh, supervisor. I taught him what I was doing in my office. He was very open to hearing uh, the kinds of things that I was doing and um, when we got uh, finished with the residency program he suggested that we should write it up. I can't say that I know about other people and other psychiatrists whether uh, you know my writing or anybody else's uh, actually uh, stimulates their trying to write things down, but I think it is a good exercise.
0: Yes, I agree. And I've heard that from other physicians who conduct research as well, um, just to get their work out there and get their perspective and, and share the body of knowledge that they're gathering. I wanted to ask you, Dr. Campbell, about that process. So you had a practice, but then you were writing on the side. Is that process of writing a book all consuming and take up multiple years of your life? Or was this sort of a process in which you had notes written down sort of on the side and you and Dr. Gary Emery had been just collaborating and thought, you know, let's put this together in a book format to release what we've already been discussing and writing about.
1: Well, I would say that was true of the first book. I've written uh, four other books and uh, they've just come out of uh, things that I'm either dealing with at the time or things that I have an interest in at the time. And, um, you know, they evolve with with time. Some of them go faster than others.
0: It sounds like you adjusted your psychiatry career after learning from others. How would you say that that applies to other specialties in medicine? And what lessons do you think that some of our listeners can draw from your career?
1: Well, I think that uh, certainly things evolve. I'm not always happy with the way, uh, you know, either medicine or psychiatry is evolving to be truthful. But uh, I think that there are areas of, Uh, advancement and there are areas where uh, there's still a lot to be uh, wished for, shall we say.
0: Yeah. Could we just spend a moment on that? What are some areas in which you would believe psychiatry needs to uh, take a turn for improvement for whether it's, are you talking about the impact on patients that, that current care or quality of care is not there or the impact on the psychiatrists themselves?
1: well there's a lot of impact on the psychiatrists themselves i'm happy with what i do but i'm not happy with the things that have happened in the field over the 50 years that i've been involved when i first started practice uh, i had one secretary that took care of two psychiatrists and we were both probably working 60 hours uh, a week and uh, she took care of everything except the uh, you know seeing the patients and uh, you know 20 years later it took her a second uh, person and a part-time person and a billing company to take care of half of my my practice alone you know that's kind of ridiculous if you understand what I'm saying and and I think that that's the negative side you know on the positive side uh, you know um, I think there are some advances that are being made obviously on the medical uh Treatment of psychiatric illnesses, and that's uh, that's a plus.
0: That's good to hear. Uh, similar concerns that I've heard from many of the physicians within the, the medical society of uh, this trajectory of uh, administrative requirements in working with insurance companies, not for the better. So a lot of room for improvement. Dr. Campbell, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, let's discuss what you call the art of accurate speech. All and right. Thank you. Yes, sir. We'll be right back. MICA was founded in 1976 by doctors for doctors and remains the leading provider of medical liability protection in Arizona. MICA is the exclusive provider of coverage for Maricopa County Medical Society. Contact MICA today to learn more about the benefits of being with a physician-led and policyholder-owned insurance company. Call 602-956-5276 or visit our website mica-insurance.com. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast and our guest today, Dr. James Campbell. Dr. Campbell, let's talk about accurate speech and why it matters. What do you mean by the art of accurate speech?
1: Well, what I've uh, experienced over the time that I've been in practice for 50 years is that a lot of what I think are psychiatric illnesses are actually caused by inaccurate speech. Now, I think that uh, if you understand that what teachers do is teachers teach us how to speak correctly. So we say many things that may be total nonsense, but they're said accurately, correctly, I'm sorry, not accurately. You make me mad, for example, is a good sentence. It's correct speech but it's totally and completely inaccurate. And when you start looking at accuracy versus correctness of speech, you find that there's a tremendous amount of things that people just say in daily living that are completely nonsense. And the more of those things that they say, the more disturbed their life becomes. So I try to um, help people to get on a, a, a more accurate speech pathway. And it's turned out to be a very positive thing with regard to psychiatric illnesses.
0: That's a great example, Dr. Campbell, of a simple statement that you make me mad because I would imagine that then requires multiple follow-up questions to really unpack or get to the bottom of what someone means when they say that. Is that the conversation that you would normally have with patients to go through multiple sessions to figure out what do you really mean by what you're saying and how is a better way to frame that so that the people in your lives can understand what you're really feeling and and how that is interacting, how is it impacting negatively or positively on how they're feeling?
1: I'm afraid that I take a lot of shortcuts there. I ask my patients to fill out a questionnaire that gives me a lot of their medical history and stuff before I ever see them. So sometimes uh, within the first five minutes of my talking with the patient, I may stop them and say, you know, let's take a second here and take a look at what you're saying. Because what you're saying to me is completely inaccurate speech and let's see whether you can word it in a way that's more accurate. And by doing that a couple of times, The patient and I both get on a track that is more sensical. You know, it makes more sense and we can basically then proceed to solve a problem. But it's very difficult to solve problems when you're speaking inaccurately.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier how teachers, especially English teachers, are teaching students how to speak correctly, but knowing where a patient is coming from and their are various levels of education or whether they're a native English speaker or not, does that have a, a direct impact on how accurately they will be speaking?
1: No, I think that, uh, you know, the, the sad part about it is, is that these errors are just intrinsic to our speech patterns. And right now, I've never seen anything quite as bizarre as our speech patterns out in society. Blaming is, in my opinion, probably not only a bad uh, way of speaking, but it's probably killed more people than many of wars. And blaming seems to be uh, at a premium right now. Everybody wants to blame everybody for something. And, you know, we wonder why people are angry. Well, blaming causes anger. So, You know, if you want to stop anger, you got to stop blaming, but you can't stop blaming (laughs) if you, if that's the way your speech pattern is. And it seems that it's, uh, you know, actually uh, fostered and, uh, you know, promoted. It's like, uh, if you don't blame, you're not in the, in society these days.
0: There are a lot of people who just communicate with one another online or virtually and, I would assume that those patterns of speech, like how people write emails or what they post on social media, because they limit baby limited by how many characters they post, or they're not going to post any words at all. They're just going to share some kind of meme or a photo or a short video with someone that conveys what may be on their mind. How does that come into the conversation or the information that you'd be sharing with a patient?
1: You know, it's, an area that I can't speak very informative about because it's not things that I do. I don't use that media, so I don't uh, really have a lot of communication uh, that's uh, based on that. But I know just a few simple things. Anger is basically caused by blaming. When I can stop people from uh, blaming, anger disappears. Psychological pain is related to need when I can help people understand that need is the source of their pain, not events, then they can get rid of their pain. So a couple of simple things uh, can have major impact in their overall health and their overall mental uh, well-being.
0: Thank you, Dr. Campbell. And I wanted to close our conversation here today by asking you to look uh, at the bigger picture for psychiatric care. After 50 years practicing in medicine, do you believe that psychiatric care has improved overall? Why or why not? I think we covered some of this before, but the overall trajectory of of psychiatric care today in Arizona or the nation, why has it improved or why not? And what is next? What do you think we need to do uh, amongst the psychiatric community or uh, mental health professionals at large?
1: I'm a little bit disappointed in psychiatry. I, I think, as I said, that uh, from a medical standpoint, uh, we're certainly uh, making some uh, headway on disorders and things. But uh, you know, when you stop and think about it, even uh, Freud, who was very influential with regard to psychiatry a number of years ago, he was uh, a neurologist. He basically worked on the physical side of things. And uh, I think that uh, the part of psychiatry that's really not dealt with is the psychological side of things. And uh, that is, in order to be able to deal with that, one has to understand that there's two worlds out there. One is a physical world and one's a psychological world. And they run by different principles. And when people try to use one principle to deal with both of those worlds, it does not work. And it leads to lots of problems. And that's, I haven't seen anything in psychiatry that suggests to me that uh, that differentiation is being attempted to be dealt with. So I find that disappointing because I don't think uh, psychotherapy is seen as very important to the field of psychiatry these days.
0: For the listeners of this episode today, um, knowing that you've written several books, where can they go to find those books are they in libraries? Are they on Amazon? Where can people get a copy?
1: Amazon, um, the um, author house is the, uh, the book uh, publisher for three of the books and um, Dorrance is a publisher for um, one of the books. So those are our places and they're uh, available, I think on Amazon as well as the usual.
0: Excellent. And I know we put uh a summary of some of that information on arizonaphysician.com on a digital article. So we will link to that in the show notes for today's episode. Dr. James Campbell, retired psychiatrist, thank you so much for coming on the Arizona Physician Podcast and sharing some of your knowledge with your colleagues. Thank you, and thank you for asking me. Help to create the future of healthcare in Maricopa County, Arizona. Get involved by joining the Maricopa County Medical Society mcmsonline.com join.
1: Thank you for listening to the Arizona Physician Podcast.